do, 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 do. Here we go. My name is Todd. And this is Gabby. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 546. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because it will help you to feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which we took from a guy we interviewed named Dr. Dan Siegel. And it's this. The best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Well, we took it from him like 10 years ago. But and then, then we, we interviewed, interviewed him, him later. eight years later and said, listen, Dr. Siegel, just so you know, we based most of everything we've ever talked about on you. On that, well, on that quote. On that quote. Yes. yes. It was kind of weird because we get all these, you know, it's easy to do searching parenting podcasts and we're amongst that's the ones that are on the first page. So we get uh, people that want to come on and most of the time we say no because that's not the type of podcast we are, but... Uh, Dr. Siegel called us. I'm like, oh my gosh, the guy. Well, when you're, when you are, when you have a book coming out. Yeah. 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 He, yes. That's what you do is you go to all the podcasts that are like in the top 50. Right. And you say, I can come on your show. Right. And so that's, it's not like he singled us out and said, I got to be with you. No, exactly. No, that's true. It's just, I'm used to getting those emails like, never heard of you, never heard of you, never heard of you. Right. But you're nicer about it than that, aren't you? Honestly, I usually delete them. Really? Because they copy and pasted it. They, oh, you mean the PR ones? Yeah, the PR yeah. ones. Mm-hmm. Like they they don't know who we are. Right. And sometimes they pretend they know who we are. <laughs> They'll by, say, I just listened to your last podcast about connecting. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so anyways, um, today we're going to talk about messiness, but... Um, mm-hmm. and or, no, we're going to talk about what messy looks like. What does messy look like? Uh-huh. Plenty of uh, evidence, plenty of examples mm-hmm. from over here, sweetie. Uh, and we're going to talk about Team Zen in the middle of the show. Okay. But let's just start. Well, what about pop culturing? Oh, yeah. Um, so we did Little Fires Everywhere, which is a, a series uh, mm-hmm. on Hulu. Mm-hmm. How many episodes was it? Eight. Eight. And we invited Skylar to join us, so she joined us. And then before that, we did both a lost, a pop culturing on The Lost Pilot. And the finale. And the finale. We did Tiger King. We did The Avengers. We did... Um, Knives Out. Knives Out. And we're, I think next week or this week, I don't know when we're going to do it, but we're going to do a pop culturing, but it's going to be a little different. I think we're going to focus on our favorite, like, I think we're going to do like our top five favorite something. Yes. Yeah, Does we're mixing it okay? up. Well, yeah. I mean, I we're still watching plenty. We have plenty to choose from. I just kind of feel like I want to get into more things than just one show. Yeah, just try something different. Okay, cool. So Pop Culturing, either subscribe in your podcast app or you can go to popculturing.com, but it's just easier to subscribe. And I'm just going to tease um, when we talk about the Team Zen in the middle, we just did Zen Talk number 87, and this Thursday we'll be doing Zen Talk number 88. Okay. More about Team Zen in the middle of the show. Okay. So what Messy looks like. So basically this it comes up for me a lot. Uh, with Todd, but also with clients and just personally, like my own kind of journaling experience and kind of the self-awareness journey. Um, but it kind of stimulated my thinking yesterday when Todd and I were walking because he, Todd has, um, by the way, speak freely about Todd. Okay. Can I? Yes. Okay. Todd has a, has a friend or friends, not just one who sometimes push him to be more talking emotional. To you. Talking to you, Eric Treese. Or they say that um, he should get messier. Yes. Okay. And that's language, but it's not just him. Cause I hear those kind of things from people all the time. Yeah. Like I, you know, people have said that to me before, like, we just want to see 
you being this way or, you know, you always seem to be this way, but we just wish you were messier. Even if they don't use that word, there's this desire to be like, and I, and I think when you're hearing it, basically what they're saying is be more real, be more, have more emotional expression about things. Yes. Because for me, this isn't for everybody listening, but for me, I've, I've identified this persona, which is a part of me. We all have a million different parts of us. And the, the persona that I have identified is whom I call the manager. And the manager for me is the one who studies really hard, who won, the one who's always on time, the one who is not really that good at expressing emotion. He's always in control. Mm -hmm. So that's just my experience. So my manager right. is usually driving the car mm -hmm. and the other personas that I have are either in the backseat or in the trunk. Right. Okay. So... So, you know, I understand that about Todd and we have discussions about vulnerability and emotion and everything, but I want to kind of frame this conversation so you have an understanding of why why I wanted to bring it up and why we're discussing it. It's because messy looks different depending on who you are. And it doesn't always look a certain way. It doesn't always look the way people think it's going to look. Right. I think sometimes we have these very, like, again, binary, very defined ideas of what messy is. We either have you're completely in control or you're someone who has this cathartic breakdown experience all the time that everybody gets to see and someone will say, wow, that was really messy or, you know, that experience or that, that emotional expression, expression that that person had was just so vulnerable. Sometimes we judge it and criticize it. And sometimes we hold it up as this like, you know, amazing cathartic moment. Yeah. And, um, and there's, and though both of those things can be true. Sure. And then because you guys listen to this show, you know that there's so much gray in between there. And so being messy doesn't always mean that we're going to have these like emotional breakdowns in front of people all the time. And again, I'm not, Sorry. Uh, I'm not judging that as good or bad or right or wrong. It's none of those. This is not about don't do that, do this. It's about that and this, mm -hmm. meaning some of you feel those breakthroughs or you feel the vulnerability in those kind of more extreme, you know, like where there's just a lot of emotion cathartic, you know, Todd always uses this scene from Goodwill Hunting that he's like, I just wish I could have a... Oh, you mean this one? Oh, did you already pull it up? It's not your fault. Don't with me. It's not your fault. Don't with me, all right? Don't with me, Sean, not you. It's not your fault. Thanks, Will Hunting. Okay. So you're going to have to bleep out those yeah, F-bombs. Um, but, and that is a real thing. I mean, not only have I had that experience in therapy myself, but not exactly like Will, but I, I just mean like I've also been with clients who, who have, or I've been in group settings or with family or friends. So that is, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think sometimes we look to that as the holy grail mm -hmm. of what messy and cathartic means. And there are all sorts of experiences that we can have on a daily basis that if we just have a more open mind about what messy means, we realize we're doing it all the time. And the best example that I can give is uh, right now is that, you know, Todd and I were having a conversation 
two or three days ago about emotional labor and about um, that sometimes in this pandemic situation, we fall into these really like stereotypical roles, well-patterned, you know, very well-patterned ideas of who we're supposed to be are in our brains. And Todd and I just, if we are not talking about it, we just kind of fall to them. Yep. Okay. So it's this thing. Cultural conditioning for, for me at least. Right. And, and, and what the idea is, is that this conversation about we're falling into these patterns, I'm really using these words specifically because that's what happens. Mm -hmm. It's so gradual. Mm -hmm. And it's this like, we can have this big talk about we're both home, we're both working, we're both parenting, we both have a house to keep clean, we both have family members we need to keep in touch with. And all of a sudden, things just start to go in this direction of I do these things and Todd does these things. Or So, so to put some reality to it, okay, you for the most part, lovingly, just kind of like, we had this really kind of authentic discussion on our walk Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. And we've had this, we've even talked about this on the podcast, but it bears repeating because I think a lot of people struggle with this. After you, you said something like, you know, the trash cans don't empty themselves. When was the last time you did a laundry and a load of laundry? And, and I hadn't thought about it because you were doing it. And we've had this conversation so many times and it was like um, a reflection back saying, Todd, and that, that doesn't even go into the, the emotional, like meeting the emotional needs of our children. This is like the easy stuff. This is the cleaning the kitchen. And I fell into this pattern of, well, I'm busy and I don't really, I don't want to do it. So I'm not going to do it and it'll get done regardless. Yes. And it's funny because- what you just said is the trash cans don't empty themselves. And I didn't say no, that. No, you did not. Because the way you said that sounds like I was being harsh. No, you weren't. I didn't say that. What I said, it was interesting because you gave me an, a very easy in. Um, I said something in the morning about him being on his computer. And then I could tell he was annoyed. So I said, are you annoyed when I say you're on your computer? That kind of started our conversation. And then he said, he goes, well... When I get up, he goes, oh, yeah. and he goes, I'm either on my computer or I watch TV. So which one do you want me to do? As if those are the As only if two those options. those are the only two things we have to do. And I had to really kind of figure out. What I out. said was I meditated, I worked out, the girls are all asleep. Mm -hmm. What else is there for me to do? Other, I, I, I don't want to watch TV. So I'm just might as well work because there's always something on my email to work on. So that's what I said. Exactly. And here's the thing. The reason that I want to be very clear about we fall into these old patterns is we are not going to, Todd and I on this show, or if you're listening, you are not going to, you know, depending on who you are, either demonize Todd or to think I'm a nag. Mm -hmm. Like, please give us more credit than to put us in these stereotypes too. Yeah. And I'm saying this because when you're listening to us, you're thinking about yourself. Sure. So even though you may be thinking Todd's this way, Kathy's this way, really it's your judgment about you. Yeah. Okay. So listen to this conversation as far as how messy it got without being cathartic-y messy. Yeah. Because one thing that I... Um, I think is really important, which I've luckily been able to practice for a decade or two um, with Todd because he's such a willing, not only an active participant, but willing to listen, is that before things get really bad, I bring it up, okay? And how do I know it's bad? I feel like it is. Now, for some, that may not be enough mm -hmm. because sometimes Todd goes into the, the mode of, but point out to me the things you did versus what I did. He doesn't say it like that, but he says, but I did A, B, C, and D. My ego 
because I saw I, I see the invitation to look at myself as a threat mm -hmm. to my ego. Mm -hmm. So I get defensive and I think about all these other things that I feel like I am doing to, you know, balance out the household responsibilities. And I want to be careful. Like, I don't want to go back into like a huge emotional labor discussion. No, that's not what this is right, about. Right. This is about a messy discussion. Right. Okay. And emotional labor just happens to be the, I think the word is the impotent, the it's, impetus. Well, that's, that's the on-ramp for it's, this discussion. It is. Is that a word? Because I'm not trying to say impotent. I'm trying to impotent say impotent is when you can't make I know, babies. I know. Well, you can, but maybe not that day or oh, something. Oh, okay. Impot is it impetus? Impetus. Um, let me look up the meaning. It means the force that makes something happen. Okay, yeah. So the mm -hmm. impetus. Mm -hmm. I just like to have new words in my vocabulary. All right. So basically the emotional labor discussion was the on-ramp, as you said, I'll use your language to get into this discussion because I could tell that we were falling into these old patterns because of things like, I. what I always say to Todd is what our conditioning has done in this culture is it has taught, generally speaking, it has taught men to think about what they need to do next, mm -hmm. what they, because think about what Todd just said. I meditated, I did my workout, I was at my computer or I could watch TV. I have been taught and trained very well to wake up in the morning and say, what does everybody else need? Mm -hmm. Now, I'm also, I include myself in that. I'm not completely, I, I'm not in the martyrdom uh, category. And you can see even that gets messy and gray. Sure, But I think about, are you know are the dishes put away is the sink clean is the are the bathrooms clean are there enough towels does everybody have enough clothes um has someone mowed the lawn and my thoughts are about the bigger picture and the it, Todd and I both have work to do in these categories because sometimes I can be too focused on everybody else and what they're doing um, and let go of either my needs or become too involved. Yeah. In whereas lives. you got to let, sometimes you got to let whoever struggle with whatever. Whatever that may be. Yeah. If it be that they need to pick up their own towels off yeah, the floor right. or if their emotional demands are not my emotional right. demands. Um, and same with you mm -hmm. as far as like that's with you too. Like um, I, but with and then what Todd needs to work on is waking up in the morning and instead of thinking about his needs, he needs to think about everybody's needs. Right. And that maybe to throw a load of towels in, not for him, but for the other people. Well, and one quick like sidebar yeah. is I know, because I've said this in my mind and I've, I'm sure I've even said it to you out loud, and I know a lot of buddies of mine, guys who are married to women, They'll say, and and you you respond back to why this is a bad thing. Okay, because I already know the answer. Right I can't now. wait. Just tell me what to do. Right. Why okay. is that a bad thing? So by definition, that falls under the emotional labor category because what you're saying is I'm not going to think about it mm -hmm. and I'm not going to worry about it. But if you want me to get it done, then you take the time and delegate it to me. Not only delegate it to me, but then tell me how to do it mm. and then maybe walk me through it and I may not even finish it and you can finish it. What, an example I'll give is sometimes Todd will throw the laundry in and then he'll put everything in a basket and then it's in the hallway. Mm -hmm. And I'm confused because I'm like, why is this in the hallway and is someone going to finish this? Right. And I don't I don't usually, most of the time it's not that big of a deal because even I leave, it's not that I'm always so sure. on it, but it, it takes a couple of days where there's like a, is this task done? 
And um, and sometimes you'll say, but I did the laundry. But see, it's not done yeah. because somebody else needs to do this last step or else because there's a belief, but I did this part, so this should be enough. And I think what what it is, is, is I'm also – why I thought this was important is because um, my clients are 100% um, female, women. And mine are men. Yes. And I am hearing from my clients these kind of struggles that have always been – but that are exacerbated living, uh, sheltering in place, which it becomes a lot more obvious of who's doing what and who's not. We always have known this. These are not new, but I think that we are, what's happened, I think, is that a big awakening or awareness that we have to have together is that if, and I'm going to, again, speak generally about men, um, that if they were raised that someone was doing these things for them. And then maybe they either didn't live alone or they got married early or they lived in a situation where maybe they didn't care if things were clean. Right. Um, then they moved from maybe their, you know, kind of went through that phase and then now live in a home where someone's doing everything for them again. And sometimes they don't even know. This gets it, this is going down a rabbit hole of emotional labor, but they don't even know that someone does those things. Right. Like when you throw something in the garbage and you see it's empty, you don't think, who emptied that? Right. You and, just are glad it's empty. Right. And this is for, again, conditioning. You. It's funny. You do, do the same thing. So I've been married to Kathy for whatever, 18 years. I have three daughters. Mm -hmm. I'm the only man in the household. Uh -huh. I'm just now at this juncture in my marriage and living in this household trying to remember to put the toilet seat down. Correct. So it's been an ongoing struggle for me because I have 48 years of experience where I, I didn't have... I didn't do it. Right. So it's a really hard pattern for me to break. What's interesting is I feel like I've been doing a little bit better job on it, but you don't notice when it's down. I don't think. You tell me if I'm wrong, but it's just our brains are wired to just notice when something is wrong. So when I leave right. the toilet seat up, you're like, oh, cue, Todd forgot to put the toilet seat down. Whereas if it's down, you're like, well, maybe one of the daughters were the last ones in the toilet or in the bathroom right. or you. So anyways. And, and here's the thing. That's a tough one because this, this, and this gets into the messy. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm talking about because there's, I think there's, and again, for like, tell me if I'm wrong, but you want me to notice when you put it down. You uh, want me to say thank you and, and tell you. Okay. My, my first reaction was be like, no, I don't need to. But now that You're I think- You're bringing uh, it up. Of course I do. So you do. Because you because you keep in saying so lovingly, like, do you want me to continue to remind you? Because you don't want to be a, um, a nag. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I know that's a terrible word. It is, yeah. But, you, but you, you're like- I keep committing to you that I'm going to put the stupid toilet seat mm -hmm. down. I keep forgetting. Right. So I keep saying, please, please, please help me remember. While at the same time, I don't like hearing that I forgot. Right. You so know? let's talk about the toilet seat as a metaphor for okay. everything else. Okay. Because I think it works very well in this situation. I have been married to Todd for 18 years and I've never really commented on the Ever. toilet seat. Okay. So this is an example of how things progress mm -hmm. as far as your own self-awareness and your own conditioning and what you're used to. And then when you start to look around after my own self-awareness, my own growth and the um, awareness that Todd is in this with me and is my partner. So I'm not trying to change Todd. I'm trying to make our environment yeah. that meets both of our needs, which is 
is so okay. Yes. I'm saying this to men and women and to, um, you know, same gendered couples and to, you know, everybody like it, it's so okay to create an environment that, that works, for everybody. works for everybody. And what I realized is that we have three bathrooms. Our daughter has one, uh, Todd and I share one and there's a guest bathroom downstairs off the kitchen. The guest bathroom is obviously used by all of us. And the, there are four girls and one man. It is also used by guests. Yep. And when you walk into, and right now we're not having any, but when we were, um, when you walk into a bathroom, the way that a bathroom should typically looks that it's like put together is the toilet seats down. Sure. And I know some men will say, well, not in my house because it's, but bear with me here. Mm. It really, you, when a toilet seats up, it's not how a clean bathroom looks, correct? correct? So basically what I said to Todd is- I and, that, st- and that would be- um, a surprise to most, to a lot of men, what you just said. But yes and no, because they know they can, I feel like this is one of these things where they would argue it. But if you walk into a bathroom, um, like in a a home, Mm -hmm. okay. I'm not talking about a urinal or your bathroom in the, in like a, a public place, but are the toilet seats all up in a guest bathroom? So what's interesting is if it's up, that's easier for me because then I don't have to put it up. Well, I'm very aware. <laughs> my point is, is that is that how a toilet sits normally? Like the seat's usually down because there are times, sorry, getting into yeah. know, bathroom talk here, but you sit in it yeah. on it too sometimes, right? Not nearly as many times as I stand up and pee, but yes. Correct. Um, but- I guess I guess my point is, okay, let's say that I'm 100% wrong. Mm-hmm. Let me say that you're like, well, I want to argue the point that men say toilet seats are up. You're not doing yeah, that. Yeah. But okay, I'll give I'll say right. fine. To them it is. But in our house, um the majority of people coming in and out are women because mm-hmm. this is where my office is. Mm-hmm. Um the majority of people living here are girls or women and could that bathroom have that seat down because the vast majority of people using it need it down? Sure. Now, you, your initial response to that was okay, but you were kind of like, well, I've never done that before. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, but see, this is the perfect example of the like, well, but you're em- one person. Well, and it's empathy. How good are you at- But at, is at- it empathy or can you look at that situation and be like, look how many girls use this and I am one guy. Mm-hmm. So might, it might be It's almost be like empathy. math. It's yes. math too. Like-, like I'm not asking you to dig deep into your well of compassion. <laughs> I'm saying like, could that toilet seat be down? Because it, not only in my visual, yeah. does it look more presentable for yeah. my clients and guests, yeah. but it also works better for your daughters and your wife yeah. and you are one person. All the evidence points towards that seat should be down all the time. Correct. Yes. And what I also said is in our bathroom, Todd, the one you and I mm-hmm. share, I don't care. Yeah. I mean, I'm. It, this is not about all toilets. Sure. Yeah. Not, hashtag not all toilets. Right. This is about one bathroom that yeah. is majority for women, mm-hmm. and so there is this this discussion has been going on because sometimes I do walk by the bathroom. I don't say it because no, you're always nice about what's it. What's funny is that you're like you bring it up when I don't do it, and I want you to know how many times you don't do it and I don't bring it up. Right, and I want you to keep bringing it up, but I also need to commit to it, like. I am a man with a brain 
that can remember things. And I've just chosen to think it's not important enough. You have, this is why this is a metaphor. Everybody listening, Todd and I really don't care about toilets. I want you to look at this as the bigger picture. Todd is conditioned to not think about other people in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Kathy is conditioned to think about everybody else in Mm -hmm. the bathroom. These are not things we need to shame ourselves over or beat each other up about. We need to understand it and to try and come to a better place where we're like, instead of Todd, you know, I I was just writing something. Oh God, I want to bring it up to you. Hold on one second. But I was just writing something something about how in our society, we really have this belief that um, we are either good or bad. Like I was just talking to a friend who was saying, she was telling me the situation. She goes, well, it turns out that they're just not good people. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, that's a big statement to say someone's just simply not a good person. And what we do, it's this thing called, I heard this on Brene Brown's podcast, this guy, uh, I think it was the same guy who talked about emotions. Mm And it's called motive attribution asymmetry. That's a lot of syllables. But listen to what it means, because you'll be like, oh, this makes so much sense. It's attributed to a group's belief that their rivals are motivated by emotions opposite than their own. So what that means is that if you think you're right, you think you're motivated by love and care, Mm -hmm. and you think the other person is motivated by hatred. Mm Mm-hmm. So you can't attribute to the other person that they may be doing their best to or that they are acting from love and care. You just assume you're loving and caring, you're good. So they must be the opposite. They are opposite of you and you can't give them the attributes that you think about yourself. So what that allows us to do is say, they're bad, I'm good. Well, you know, this might be a rabbit hole or a tangent, but I think people who, whatever, want guns in their households, uh-huh. they they want to keep the world safe. Right. And I think I'm not a big gun guy. I think the less guns out there- The more safe. The more safe. And they think the more guns out there is the more safe. Correct. Yet, so that we're, we're both trying to get to the safe part. Right. But how are we going to get there? Correct, anyway. and this and that is a really good example because it's a it's a very volatile yeah. co- you know conversation, and we can have more data or more experience or or more um, you know stories mm-hmm. to share where we're like, but don't you see this? But everyone's driven by their own personal lived sure. or learned or conditioned yep. experience, so. The reason why this is important is because when Todd and I are, when you're listening to this, if you're thinking to yourself, Todd, just put the seat down, or you're thinking, Kathy, get over it, there's mm-hmm. bigger things, why why don't you believe there's a place in the middle? Mm-hmm. And I'm talking to the listener. Sure. Like, the messy is okay. This is, this is going back to the messy, is that I think that these conversations, if they be about what's going on in the house, how we parent... Our, our relationship and how we communicate, toilet seats, the world, politics, I think we should dive in. Mm-hmm. And I think we should be willing Embrace to be a little messy, not beating each other up, having breakdowns, cathartic messy, maybe occasionally, Sure, but we don't have to go that extreme. Like messy, I was telling Todd that for, you know, for his friends that tell him he doesn't get messy enough, Todd's super messy in our Mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. He starts out defensive. Then he becomes kind of like a little boy. Mm -hmm. And he has this face where he says, but I've been doing all this work. And And then I have to, you know, and I'm messy because I start out maybe 
a little more passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. And then I start speaking really strong. And then I feel like I got to I got to come in and and be like a mother mm-hmm. for a second. And then I have to speak for all women. Yeah. And then so I'm messy, Todd's messy. Every conversation is messy. And what in this conversation that Todd and I were having, I was trying to, I was hoping, and I think I think you read it this way too. I was reframing for him that when he walks around saying, I don't know how to get messy or other people tell him he's not, I'm like, dude, you get messy all the time. Yeah. It just may not show up. It doesn't show up like Goodwill Hunting. Correct. Yeah. That you are willing to like, and, and sometimes people can't see it. Like think about yourself if you deal with anxiety and depression. When you're going through that inside of your own body, do you think the person across from you really understands that? Do they understand the messiness of you in that moment? Um, and, and that doesn't, like, I think then we would say, well, the messiness is actually speaking it. Yes, but they may not be experiencing it in the same way that you are. So for, I think it's important to note, I I have an aversion to messiness and I think most people do. Yes. And the reason is, from my perspective, is that it's really uncomfortable. Correct. So the first question is, can you be comfortable when you're uncomfortable? Correct. Which is a really interesting, like we do a whole podcast on that statement. Yeah. I'm willing to, I don't enjoy it. Like I'm not enjoying our messy conversations. Neither am I. But I know that it's important because I feel more connected to you today than I did four days ago because we went through a mess and we came out clean on the other side. And one bit of evidence I'll give to you, Saturday morning was this kind of messy conversation. And part of the conversation was meeting the emotional needs of our children. And Kathy is a rock star at that. And I don't put as much intention on it as I judge I should. So Saturday morning, we had the messy conversation. Saturday night was an interesting experience because one of my daughters and I, we end up just kind of weirdly brushing our teeth in front of the, in the presence of the other people. It's kind of like- So basically what they do is every night they have this routine where they start brushing their teeth and they walk around to every one of us and show us how they're brushing their teeth. And don't even say anything. We just simply brush our teeth. It's a funny thing. So we've been doing it like for six days in a row. Uh-huh. And one of our daughters is kind of sick of seeing that. Like there's probably you guys are sick after the first day. Yeah. I mean- but anyways, <laughs> so it went badly. And the one kid kicked out, like I left, but the, but my, the kid I was brushing my teeth with stayed. Right. She pushed up against that. She, she, that she me- pushed up messy. against it <laughs> and there was sadness. Right. There was tears. Right. There was toothpaste on the floor. Yes. It got a, it, it literally got messy. got messy. That's what I was saying. Yeah. So my daughter says to me, the one who got kicked out, the one who got removed from the bedroom, <laughs> she was like, you know, puppy dog, sad. I'm just going to go to bed. Uh-huh. And I said, sure, you don't want to talk? No, I'm just going to go to bed. All right, I'm going to bed. So I went to bed. She went to bed. And I'm sitting there trying to go to sleep because I was tired. And I'm like, wow. My daughter just had some experience that was uncomfortable, correct? messy. I could tell she's hurt. Right. She's sad. And I just kind of like quickly said something real quick to make myself feel better. And then I instantly excused myself and went to bed. So I couldn't fall asleep. So I went back into her bedroom and I had a conversation and I, all I wanted to, I didn't want to fix it. I didn't want to fix her. I just wanted to create the space and say, tell me what you're feeling. Are you sad? Are you mad? And I just wanted to like hold the space. I did a pretty good job. I, I didn't do it perfectly, but I was very proud of the fact that I got my ass out of bed to do this. Mm-hmm. That would not have happened. I'm positive 
if you and I didn't talk on Saturday mm-hmm. morning. Mm-hmm. So there's some gold, some some helpfulness that happens on the other side of the mess. Correct. And so I just think that's important. Too. Well, and there is if willing. Some if people willing. push against the mess and say, I don't want you to be messy, or they gaslight the other person and say, you shouldn't be messy. Right. You shouldn't be feeling this way. You are not seeing what you think you're seeing. You're wrong. That's gaslighting. That's basically trying to tell you that how you feel is not really how you should feel and that what you're seeing is not what you're seeing. Um, Todd is willing to have messy conversations with me, um, but we've been doing them for, I would say, 12 years at least, Mm -hmm. if not longer. Um, Not the first couple years of our marriage, so I don't know when we started, but we are very well versed. But let me say they are still messy. And this is what we have to understand is that you don't have these conversations and then you learn how to do them and they're never messy. They just always are because the thing that emotions or vulnerability, we love to talk about vulnerability and sadness and everything in this like separate from us kind of way. Like, oh yes, I was vulnerable. But what vulnerability really feels like is discomfort, unpredictability, ability to, uncertainty. Ability to be hurt. Exactly. You. That's what. So when we talk about being vulnerable and people talk about it very matter of fact to me, I can tell when they haven't been. Yeah. Because I'm like, well, you're, and I know sometimes I can do that too when I'm teaching it. I can be like, yes, it was very vulnerable. So we don't all, sometimes we're very surfacy with it. But if you really understand it, mm-hmm. then you know it means it's messy. Yeah. This is, this is what I'm trying to say is that, you may talk about it a certain way, but when you're asking me questions like, but I don't want to be uncomfortable, then I'm like, well, then you're not being vulnerable. Right. Because those are, it's funny, we're kind of getting into Brene Brown's language a mm. little bit because she talks about this, like this awkwardness, yep. this, you can't be vulnerable without being somewhat awkward. And then where does the awkwardness and the discomfort come from? It comes from that you don't know where you're going to end up. Yeah. Meaning if you are unwilling to, if you are willing to have a conversation that's difficult, you don't know what the end result will be. You could be disappointed. Mm. You could have a complete change or a deeper sense of relationship. You, The dynamics may shift. And some people would rather know this is how it's going to be. And, and I hear this from my clients. He won't listen anyway. Nothing will change anyway. Um, right now, I'm speaking of my clients who are in um, a relationship with a man. Mm-hmm. Um, so why bother? Yeah. They don't want the disappointment. And and I get that. I mean, who? this is so common. This isn't new. Um, and, and can I read something that's kind of different? Sure. And then I want to do a quick uh, plug for Team Zen. And then I want to possibly, uh, I just want to take a different look at the messiness. Me too. I have a whole page. Okay. I mean, so we have barely like touched the surface. So why don't you, I have something I want to read that's cool, but go into Team Zen. So Team Zen, uh, we do a few Zen talks a month and a Zen talk is basically a live podcast. And we just did our 87th one last week. And these were our topics. This is a funny one. Um, one of our Team Zen members wrote in and said, "My, I think my nine, my, my son, yeah. my eleven-year-old overheard uh, my husband and I having intimate moments, having sex, having sex. Say. Yeah, we can say the words. And um, it was interesting. And she, and it was about how do I talk to him about this? Yeah. And we had we, you and I just riffed about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was one topic. Um, another one has a daughter who he's afraid that she's going to fail ninth grade. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote a quote from Anne Frank, Diary of Anne Frank, who I, I just finished that book. And then uh, there was one mom who was worried that 
her daughter is not even wanting to connect with her friends yeah, anymore. There's a detachment, yeah. So we do these end talks uh, depending on what time, at least twice a month. Lately, we've been doing it Once every week. single week mm-hmm. and actually sometimes twice, twice a week. week yeah. uh, we have another Zen talk this Thursday okay. and we'd love to have you join the team. The first month is free. Just put in the coupon code FRIEND and it's just a team of like-minded moms and dads who want to deepen connection with themselves, with this community, with Kathy and I. Um, there's a whole bunch of other things that go into it, but that's that's the deal. And with their kids. And with their kids. Which is like the big intention. So, um, so yeah, I love Team Zen. I'm happy about Team Zen. Is that it, Todd? That's it. Okay. So why this is super important. I'm, I'm, there's all these things, pieces coming together. And then, um, I want to defer to you because you want to talk about something with messy that I'm doing a lot of reading right now, um, about women, uh, which I think it's because we are in the midst of this uncertain, unpredictable time. And when you're in the, when everything's already messy, why not just go yeah. Why not just like look at everything, right. right? Which is what I think, you know, In we're not in hindsight yet, so I don't want to take too many lessons from something that's not over yet. But I think that's what we're supposed to be doing yeah. is questioning our lives. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? You know, everybody's like, I can't wait to get back to normal. I, I don't know if I want to go back to normal, meaning like- I hope I don't go back to business as usual after things are normal. Right. Didn't we- Did didn't, we learn nothing right, from this time? Right. We learned nothing. And, and we don't, and for those of you who are like, ugh- I just want normal. I understand, but this is an opportunity and we don't, you don't have to know what the lessons are right now. Can you just be awake to the questions? Anybody who is like, I know the answers, they don't live the questions. Like, why is this happening? What do we do? And my girlfriend, Annie and I were talking this morning. We were just kind of talking about all these deep things, which we tend to do. But I was, I read to her this quote that I found in Sue Monk's kid book, uh, Sue Monk kids book from, uh, she's got a new book coming out right now, or it's out called the book of longings, but I got her book from 1996. So it's a much older book and it's called the dissident daughter. And it was about her awakening to all these things we talk about on the show. Okay. And how she was like talking to her husband about it. And this was 1996, right? And she, it just resonates so strongly with me that I can only like read a chapter at a time because I'm overwhelmed. Mm. But I wanted to read this part because she said something that I've really been unable to say. Um, She said, this is her kind of having this awakening about her as a woman, her cultural conditioning, and who she really knows herself to be. She said, despite the growing disenchantment women experience in the early stages of awakening, the idea of existing beyond the patriarchal institution of faith or anything else, um, and withdrawing our external projection of God onto the church, and she's talking specifically about church in this moment, but she means the whole thing, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole world, is almost, almost unfathomable. It's that old, the world is flat. Um, she's talking about the world is being flat. The world is flat conviction where we believe that if we sail out on the spiritual ocean beyond a certain point, we will fall off the edge. The known world becomes a void. We think there's nothing beyond the edge, no real spirituality, no salvation, no community, no substance. We cannot see that the voyage will lead us to, to a whole new continent of depth mm. and meaning that if we keep going, we might even come full circle, but with a whole new consciousness. And the reason why I was like, oh, like I'm getting tingles just reading it is because there's this quote, this thing that I always say to people, and I try and write about it, and I can't do it very well, where I say, when I started this process of like awakening 
um, where I really started to see things differently and my skin started doing crazy stuff and mm. I really got physically sick because all this toxicity was coming out. I thought I was going to leave my family. Mm. And I don't mean literally. I don't mean I thought I didn't but plan you, Metaphorically, it. you saw yourself falling off an edge. I thought I was going to fall off the earth. I'm yeah. like, if I dive into this spirituality, and I think I even cry to Todd and say this, I'm afraid that there is no other place for me here. Yeah. That if I go deep into myself, that I'll leave everybody. And I kept saying, I'm afraid I'll go sit on a mountain somewhere mm. and just meditate. Yeah. What I learned... It's kind of like the, you know, the, that... Chop wood, um, carry water, that well, stuff? Well, that, but that's enlightenment. That's part of it. Um, but about the thing, the quote about um, that it hurts more to not bloom, mm. that I was like, I could just stop. Oh, yeah. And you think that you, you're being safe by doing right. that? When in fact, there's going to be more pain Correct. if you don't do and it. And so when I'd have moments of stopping, yeah. like I'm not going to say this thing or I'm not going to dive deeper, it hurt me so much like the, it had already begun yeah. i couldn't go back so i had to dive in and then what you just said chop wood you know carry. enlightenment is you know chop wood carry water basically and i'm doing the liar. exact same thing yeah. that i was doing before but you're doing it from a different place from a, a better consciousness yeah. and when i say better what i mean is a consciousness yeah i am aware and i can see and because i can see myself that's the how I can then see that Todd's not bad and I'm good. That's not it. Todd is also like, you know, he has his needs and his fears and his worries. And when I even look at people that I feel like I can't stand, some leaders out there, I try to think to myself, but something happened to that person. Yeah, he's a wounded child. And so... That awareness, though, keeps me from dividing the world up. So let me see if I can bring this to some practicality. Okay, go ahead. So you brought up a difficult conversation with me on Saturday morning. Correct. And I feel like it's a short-term, long-term thing. Okay. You brought it up because you've done some of your own work. Correct. Somebody who hasn't done that work would be like, I can't do it. I can't do that it. That would be one option. It hurts. It hurts. It's scary. It's scary. I don't know how he's going to respond. Or I do already think I know how he's going to respond. Yes. And so I'm not going to, I'm going to avoid that discipline. And I think what you're saying, and, and as human beings, if there is a threat in front of us, uh -huh. it's really hard to step into that. Correct. From the long term, though, what, you, what that quote just said to me was the long-term pain as a result of not stepping into that short-term pain exactly is much higher correct but it's kind of like you know the value of money is is more valuable now than it is in 10 years that's why banks give you interest for savings accounts right. sorry to get into my logical <laughs> brain but that's what i think right. so you you, have, you almost have to commit to a short-term discomfort mm -hmm. Because there's gold on the other side. And for me, the gold was I went back into my daughter's room mm -hmm. on Saturday night because I was willing to to have a challenging conversation. I don't know which one of us is less comfortable when we have these conversations because I know you are because it's hard to bring it up. It's easier just to pretend everything's okay. And it's hard for me because like, I don't want to change because... I don't want to have to look at myself. And you know, the, the, the answer to that is, is it's both. Mm. Meaning that there are times, uh, metaphorically, that I walk by the toilet seat and it's up yeah. and it's not the right time to bring it up. Yeah. And that's considering the other person. You're already having a bad day. You're in the middle of a meeting. You're watching the bulls in that moment. Am mm. I really going to be like, toilet seat's up? Yeah. You know, but there are times when I walk by, you're in the kitchen, it's a good moment. And I say, Todd, did you want me to mention the yeah. toilet seat again? Right. And, and so... This is, this is, it's not just all about us 
And it's also all about us. Mm-hmm. There is, I think sometimes the reason, generally speaking, that women don't bring things up is because of their conditioning mm-hmm. with that they should, and actually Glennon talks about this in her book Untamed, that they should just be grateful for what they have already. So they have to do all this constant gratitude work of, well, I don't have two shoes, but I have one shoe. Mm-hmm. But see, one shoe isn't super helpful. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's like we're, we're told to just notice what we have, which is beautiful. I think we should have a gratitude practice. So I'm not saying don't have a gratitude practice. I'm saying have a gratitude practice and also be okay with needing something. Mm-hmm. And sometimes needing something means I just need to speak what is true for me. Yeah. And what's true for me is that right now we are falling into old patterns and I'm not looking to you to say, you do garbage on Tuesday, I'll do it on Thursday. I'm bringing it up so I don't carry a resentment toward you. Yes, I don't really even know how this will look going forward, but not speaking... We we were talking about this on Team Zen that people kept saying, should I tell my friend this thing that's bothering? Should I, you know, bothering me? Should I talk to my partner about this thing that's bothering me? And I'm like, you talk to them not for a result, but because if you don't speak what is true for you, you will drink the poison. You'll resent them. Yeah, what I was going to say is it's going to back up on you. It will. And that, and you, and you know what? You guys know this because when things back up on you enough, you do have a will hunting breakdown moment and you lose it and you make maybe poor decisions or you yell or you throw something. And that is a very congested moment. That's a moment of like intense, intense resentment or sadness or fear. And, and the, and the hope is that when things come up for you, that you can say them. And then for those of you who are partners, who are listening to this, male or female, instead of believing that it's another time that someone is disappointed in you or that they're, even the word nag, Todd brought up the word nag. Nag by definition means someone had to ask you to do something twice. Yeah. So who's at fault in that nag situation? Right, if you make an agreement, yes, yes, Kathy, I will put the toilet seat down. Correct. And then you have to remind me more than once, I broke my commitment. Now you and I haven't written a contract, but I verbally am like, yep, I'm going to do it. It's just such an easy way it's, to put a woman yes. or or a man if if he's the one who is run, you know, who whoever yeah. it is. I I it's hard to get gender specific because I'm only focusing on my own awareness as a woman and the women I work with. Um but saying nag is an easy way it's like to ga- bypass it's gaslighting. It, it. it is. It's right? saying you're a nag or you're always disappointed in me. When, you're always putting me down. So to turn that around, it's like, I'm not a nag. You said you're going to do it. And you didn't do it. Right. How's that nagging? Right. You haven't agreed to come home from work at five o'clock or not, not sleep around or not put the toilet seat. There's no nagging there. Correct. Like, did, did you think that this was a good idea? I said, yes, Kathy, I will put the toilet seat down. Mm-hmm. And the, and when I don't do that, that's not, it's not nagging. It's it's me owning my stuff. Correct. And my stuff that I need to own is how am I bringing it up? When am I bringing it up? Why am I bringing it up? Because if I'm bringing it up to hurt him mm. or to gain more power, see, this is something I have to work with women with too, is a lot of times they're trying to get more power and overpower. And the goal of a healthy relationship is similar power. And I use similar and not equal because it goes up and down. Yeah, there is no there is no pure balance. There is no pure balance. But 
similar power means we both are powerful Mm -hmm. and we both can hear each other and we're not trying to one up each other. So when women are like, well, I've got this whole thing in my mind that I'm going to say and I'm just waiting and I just want, it's almost like they want the person to mess up. So then they get a power Mm -hmm. and that's, and that can work in that moment. This is with children too. This is how we parent sometimes. I'm just going to sit here and wait. And when they're a minute late, they're going to hear it from me. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. No. That's not common sense. If your child is a minute late, they're not trying to disrespect you. Yeah. It, clocks can all have a... Do you know what I mean? For sure. Like that is a power struggle. Yeah. And if your kids walk in and it's two minutes past, I think we should be like, okay, because we do that too. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so I, I have a bunch of things, but I you I don't want to go to my a, thing. Mine's too different than this topic. Are you sure? Yeah. Because Positive. Our, well, okay, so let's return to messy and why we brought it up. Okay. So we're 47 minutes in, so we got about 15 left if we want. Okay, so I want to read off a few things, and then you tell me if you want to go down any of these paths. So I already brought up some people want us to look messier when really every day we're pretty messy. Mm-hmm. Okay, It just looks different depending on who we are. Um, some of us are more extreme messy, and some of us are perfectionists, and then there's places in the middle. So we've kind of covered that. Messy is accepting all of our feelings, mm-hmm. right? Messy is realizing that you can wake up one morning and feel like it's going to be a really difficult day and then an hour later you feel good and that's fine and then vice versa you could wake up feeling good and then you get bad news doesn't mean the whole day is bad um messy is knowing there's no simple answers to this virus Mm. for goodness sakes Mm -hmm. people who are taking sides and who are either like we're opening everything up or nobody go anywhere Everybody, there is a place in the middle Mm. and you have to understand why people are coming from the way, the place that they are. And when I say there's a place in the middle, I don't mean I have an answer. I mean, it's messy. I mean, there are some people's livelihoods that are just gone Mm -hmm. and, and you can understand why they're like, can I please open up my business? They're not bad people. They don't want to kill you. Mm. They are trying to survive on the same wavelength. There are people who are like, I either have a, a, you know, a condition where I'm really at risk or a family member that you going to work threatens me. And both of those things are valid, but it's how do we live in that messy and take the time to, and you know what, I don't have an answer to this. I just wish we could accept instead of point fingers and say, you're the problem. I think our ego is is biologically evolved to have a right and a wrong. Yes, I guess uh, so. Good and a bad. And I think when we drop into our heart center or you know, insert whatever metaphor you want, that, you know, somebody who's a proponent of, of wanting their guns, like there's... Let's a, talk about COVID instead of guns. Okay. We? Yeah, well, yeah, okay. So somebody who wants to open up their business today. Correct. Totally get it. Yeah. I can understand why you want to do that. It's their livelihood. It's their livelihood. They're not going to have much of a life if they can't feed feed their family. Totally get it. And vice versa. Somebody's at risk and they they already have respiratory. Like, yes, put your freaking mask on at the grocery store because I don't know what you've been doing or where you've been or who you've been with. So please, for the sake of me, yes, put your mask on. Well, and that's the gray and the messy is that one thing, like my daughter was asked to, if she could come back to work and um, she and I had long talks about it. And basically my decision or my, um, cause obviously I asked her opinion and we talked through all these things and my, what we ended on yeah. was more time. 
we need more time before you start going back into that world of work because she was surrounded by people all sure. the time in her work. And that I said, it's not about, oh, on May 30th, we'll have it figured out. It's that who knows where we could be then? We could have more information or your workplace may have a rhythm or a system that you can go into rather than you being one of the guinea pigs of figuring it out um, because she doesn't need to. A lot of the people there need to work and she does not. Yeah. She is in high school. Well, even that is like, that's great. Like there's some people that probably need to work a lot more than our daughter does. That's what I mean yeah. is that I, but see, I couldn't say to her, I couldn't guilt trip her and be like, because that wouldn't be honest, to say, I'm not going to send you back to work or you're not going back to work because other people need the money more. Because that wasn't the other reason. That wasn't the only reason. Mm -hmm. I was worried about us getting sick. Um, I was worried about... you know, her being in a situation that she couldn't keep herself safe. because mm. it, 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 I don't need to go through the conversation that I had with her, but let me tell you, it was messy yeah. and it was hard. And I know that it was hard for her, and but it was necessary. And basically what I know is about this virus. And, and, and when I say what I, what I know, it's not much, is that we need time. That I think every couple weeks, every month, every day, we figure something else out. And I think as time goes on, we'll be able to make better choices. Plus testing, plus, you know, vaccine trials. Like it's so many things, but I kind of, basically what I said to her was we can't make a decision on this yet because we don't have enough information, which means we- So the answer was- No for now. Not yet. Yeah. No for now, not yet. Right. Yeah. And so anyway, that's COVID. Um, Let's see. I already said messing is have a a different conversation. Um, Messy is realizing that all relationships have challenging moments, Mm -hmm. that any kind of perfection in a relationship is not real. Oh, we don't do this. Oh, Todd and Kathy, you guys have tough conversations? All the time. You always get along so well on the podcast. Yeah, that's That's one hour out of 23. There's 23 other hours there. But I always want to be careful because people get very binary about this. We, Todd and I also don't fight. Mm Mm-hmm. We have really serious discussions. That doesn't mean we don't get along. That means we have a lot of emotion and we say, this is how I feel. See, people like to either be like, you fight or you don't. You get along or you don't. We get along. What about, so this is out of left field. What about those couple? We all know them. I'm related to some of them. They like, their form of communication is fighting, yet they have a, what seems to be, they love each other. They've been Mm -hmm. living, they've been married for 30 or 40 years. Mm -hmm. But they like bicker and they like do all that. Like that's, it's always interesting to me. Like I, I'm thinking of some cousins of mine mm-hmm. and all they do is fight with each other. Right. They never hurt each other. Like, well, you don't know that. I guess that's true, but I'm, I'm taking a leap here. Okay. So I just wonder what that's like, because we have, I think you and I have a pretty similar idea of what a healthy marriage looks like. Mm-hmm. Somebody, let's just say somebody has been married 40 years and they just kind of like, just the way they communicate mm-hmm. is is raw and edgy and has an edge to it mm-hmm. and is a little bit more blamey. Like, why do you, you know, put the ketchup with the fridge or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever they're fighting about. And they don't, they don't express verbally with the same kind of regard that you and I choose to express. Is our way better than their way? No. What I was just going to say is this is not about judging other people's yeah. marriages because some people who are bickery, that's the way they connect. Yes. Now- I don't want to do that, but they I. may have their reason. They, This is not, there is no right way. I mean, here's the messy too. You should not be having conversations like Todd and I, because you are not Todd and I, 
you are not me, you are not Todd, and you're not in our relationship. So the way we communicate may not be the way you communicate. You may take some like generalizations of, oh, I should bring things up. But how that's going to look is going to be different depending on who you are and who that person across from you is. Something that Todd and I use all the time is humor. I have heard from many people who listen to this show that humor is really not their thing, that that's not how they communicate. So I wouldn't say to them, oh, but then you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Humor is our it's one of our thing. tools. Exactly. And, and for some, bickering is their way of demonstrating I'm annoyed, or it's their way of releasing pressure or letting air out of the balloon. And if both parties are okay with it, we have nothing to say. You know what this is for me? It's like a, it's a feedback loop. It's like, because I think, let's just continue down the generalization okay. things. I think, let's just talk about us. I haven't put a put a, uh, toilet seat down in 46 years, Correct. 48 years, and I'm not going to start now. Like that's being very narcissistic looking inward. Right. Why should I have to? Why should I have to? Because all you got to do is uh, put it down. I'm not going to put it down, but you should be okay with putting it down. And then, but there's also, it's not just me. There's a system. I'm in, I'm in a system in this household. There's five, four other people. So that is part of my environment. I think what a lot of women do is they put the system in front of their own needs. Of course. And I think what a lot of guys, what I do sometimes, I put my needs in front of the system. If you put all of your attention on the environment's needs and neglect your own, bad. Mm-hmm. If I do just myself, because I need to meet my own needs so mm-hmm. that I can bring more to the system. But if I'm just thinking about myself and I neglect the other four people that I live with, that's not good either. So it's once again, either or left or right, up or down. It's neither. It's I need to check in with myself. Is this Does this feel right? And at the same time, can I check in with how this is impacting the people around me. And can you be open? I think something that happens, one of the beautiful things about awakening or evolving, and when I'm using this terminology, I'm not using it spiritually. I'm talking about where you start to notice other people's perspective, where you start to break down your own ingrained patterns mm-hmm. and you say, wait a second, yeah. why would I do that or think that or believe that? Is that true? You know, it's it, don't, don't take my words awakening and enlightening as something that you can't reach because we all have enlightened moments, awakened moments, and I believe that they go on and on and on. Mm-hmm. You know, enlightening and awakening is like an active, alive word, meaning it's happening. It's I'm not awake and I'm not enlightened. I am practicing those things. And sometimes I go right back to sleep (laughs) and I forget. And then when I wake up again, um, I start to see that why is this – like I can – I socially conditioned have accepted – a toilet seat up and that it's my job to put it down. Mm. I accepted that because my environment since forever has told me that that's part of my job. Yeah. And then when I wake up and I say, this doesn't make sense. And so I say to Todd, how, how you know, is this something we could think about and talk about and work on? And he's like, but it's hard. Mm. And I'm like, yes. And, and it's hard for me to bring this up or it's hard for me to always have to think about putting the toilet seat down or not falling into the water. So we're both having this thing, but what makes most sense, common yeah. sense, instead of who has the most power, who wins? Because intimacy, that word, into me see, means have we had such difficult discussions and have we gone to these deep places in ourselves that we see each other in a different way. Yeah. That's what intimacy is. Intimacy is not romance and sex and yeah. stuff. We've totally misunderstood that word. Intimacy is like, I see you yeah. and you see me and I'm messy and you're messy 
but our heart's in the right place, or we're doing our best to keep our heart in the right place. What does that mean? My heart takes care of me and I open my heart to you because if I just give my heart to you, then I'm not existing. Yeah. Forget about yourself. Exactly. So it's both. So just a few more things and then we'll end. Um, let's see. Um, messy is realizing that our kids are different than us and that they should be. Yes. And that that is going to be messy in how we relate to them because they're not supposed to be us. Um, yeah, before you go, okay. uh, uh, move on to the next one. I have a, one, a wonderful friend of mine who's got a feisty four-year-old daughter. Uh-huh. And um, she is a warrior. Uh-huh. And she is demanding, as mm-hmm. I think a lot of four but I think she just... And um, my friend, as you know, we all can kind of lose it <laughs> and become impatient because our toddlers are not doing what we need them to do. And one kind of reflection back I gave to my friend because he was having a tough day. I'm like, what are you, what, what is she here to teach you? Mm-hmm. And, and it's just that reflection back. Cause you know, it's so easy just like to look outward. Like if you just follow my plan, the world will be perfect. Mm-hmm. And when, when our kids don't follow what we think they should be doing, instead of being like changing them, can we look inward being like, how can I better relate to the situation, understanding my myself versus always looking out? So anyways. Absolutely. We misplace control. We, we think that control is love. Mm-hmm. We think that if I say, go do this and you do it, not only am I loving you, but you're loving me back. Mm-hmm. And there's no truth in that whatsoever. And it doesn't have to be a four-year-old daughter. It could be a 14-year-old son. It could be a 24-year-old. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like when this happens, what is this here to teach you? Well, and, and people will say to us, They'll say, okay, so I accept my child as they are. And then what do I do when they walk all over me? And, and it's like, but you, you're not, you're not accepting. My definition of acceptance is not that. Correct. That's not what and, we're saying. And that doesn't mean you like roll over and let your kid do whatever they want. But when you do engage in an agreement to figure out whatever happens to be upsetting you, can you do it from a place of what energy are you coming at it with? And when your kids is kind of like Rachel Simmons at our conference, like, you know, she was cueing us to do these things differently Mm -hmm. in regards to how we relate to our children. Mm -hmm. And she's like, just so you know, when you do these things differently, they're not going to say thank you. Never. These kids are not going to be like, my God, mom and dad, you're so evolved. You've enlightened me about myself. Thank you so much. Like they're still going to be pissed. (laughs) Totally. Well, maybe. 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 Because that's the thing is what people are saying is you're telling me I should do this, but if I do that, then this will happen. And then they'll walk all over me. And you haven't even begun the process. You haven't even started recognizing, like my, one of my questions to my clients always is dig deep about what you're really doing here. Are you trying to make them do what you say and have them be like you and have them cater to an ideal that you have created in your head? If you have, and and initially they won't admit to that. Mm -hmm. That's like, they're like, no, no, I'm just, I'm doing it for them. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it for them. I'm asking them to do this so they're good. Well, and I want to just clarify real quick regarding my buddy and his four-year-old daughter. I wasn't asking him to accept her. I was asking him to accept himself in this triggered state, which is kind of, that's, that's the looking inward part. Like, cause I think like, okay, yeah, I'll accept my daughter because she's not doing what I want her to do. Really. You don't have any control over anything out there. Instead. I'm just like, when you get mad or sad or angry or afraid, can you accept that in you? And then from that place of deep acceptance, 
can you then engage? Well, and that's exa- exactly your last line is what I was going to focus on is that it's many, many levels of consciousness and, uh, and awakening in that moment. It's I'm annoyed right now. What am I really trying to do in this moment? Um, and how can I focus on how I'm feeling and shift this dynamic from me to her. Mm -hmm. It's not going to go from her to me. I can't force her to be different with me, but I can be different with her. But before I can be different, I have to realize why this is pissing me off. You know, something I also say to a lot of my clients is who does this remind you of in your life? Mm. And they'll be like, my dad, my sister, my mom. It's a repeating of a pattern. Or me when I was... 16, yes, they, they remind me of myself, and I don't want them to go down the track I did. Yeah. There is zero there is zero reason for you to believe that your child in front of you is, is going to do the exact same thing that you mm. did. Well, actually, that's not true. There is a reason, which is you did it. Yeah. But they are in a different time, different friends, different house, different environment. They're going to have their own path, and you you can give them support and advice and listen to them, but you can't force, you can't make them afraid. You can, you can, but then when you're having all this talking back or slamming doors, it's what's going to happen. It's the defensive um, position that they take because they don't feel heard or seen or valued. So I know this sounds repetitious, but I think some people get it on the surface level, but then they process it through their brain rather than practicing it in real time. And if you process it through your brain, your ego is going to tell you why it's not going to work. Right. And it's going to tell you why Kathy and Todd are stupid and don't understand the, your family the way you do. It's going to give you all this feedback. And of course we don't. But what I mean is that in your family, take us out of it. If you can be supportive of yourself and how you feel and the experience you're having and decide to not argue from a pace of place of pain, but instead to take a deep breath and say, okay, I'm going to try this a different way. Right. The dynamic will shift. It won't be perfect. Your children won't come and love you and hug you and say, thank you so much for shifting the dynamic. It will just not end up the same way. And then that's the, just like Todd and I starting a conversation 12 or 13 years about our own awarenesses and about our own consciousness and what we bring to this relationship. And we're still having those conversations. Right. You will keep having those conversations with your kids, but we can do it better now. Right. It gets better and better. Right. So what were you going to play? Uh, I'm reading this kind of really deep book and I don't even know if I'm going to keep going because it's so deep. It's on meditation, but there is one, he, he talks about these glimpses about, um, your awareness, you're in a triggered state. And one of the glimpses, which is an insight or an on-ramp to how to like arrive at the situation from a different level of consciousness. And this is probably going to make no sense to anybody and maybe even you. Okay. But one of the glimpses or one of the invitations is like, who would you be if there was no problem to solve? Like, that's it. Like, that's it. And, you know, he like preps you and gets you to the point where you arrive at that question. But your toddler's not doing what you want him to do. Like, how what if there was no problem to solve? Like what the fact that we're saying that this is a problem to begin with, mm-hmm. like this is like deep end stuff that I have a hard time even getting my arms around, but that's just kind of what I'm thinking right well, now. Well, I think that that makes complete sense, Todd, because I think that's the same thing as Byron Katie's The Work, you know, is this true? Like, mm-hmm. do they need to do this right now? Or do I think they need to do this because it matches up with my desire for a perfect house or a perfect kind of relationship that I perceive to be the way we're supposed to be. And then if our child in front of us is being different than what we perceive we're supposed to be, then we take offense at them 
fence with them, and then we create a problem. I, the, the question that we mostly get um, in emails from our clients, teams, and whatever it may be, is people say, my kid is doing this. How do I get them to stop doing this? Right. It's the wrong question. And I don't mean you shouldn't ask us. I just mean when you ask that question, can you hear yourself? My kid is doing this. How do I get them to stop doing it? Right. It's not about, I don't have any words for you. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I can give you a reframe about how, um, you know, when people will say, oh, use charts or give them gifts or, um, you know, threaten them or take away their phone. I, I hear all those things. And in the in the moment, it may, and I'm putting this in air quotes, work. Mm -hmm. But in the long term, what's happening there? So we talked about like a true acceptance because, you know, like we'll say like, oh, I accept him or her, myself. And then when really we don't, right? Right. So, um, so the cue is actually, you know, if you arrive at this deep acceptance of whatever's happening to you right now, the cue is what's here now when there's no problem to solve. Right. So I'm just kind of like. Which is. A love for my child, wanting to connect to my child, yeah. wanting to be at peace, wanting world peace, yeah. wanting peace in my home. So then why are you creating something other than peace? And you may say, but they need to put their shoes away. Why? <laughs> Go there. In your Why do they need to put their shoes away? Because they need to have manners. Why? Because my mom always taught me we needed to have manners. There it is. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, like there's dig. all these you things below. Dig. And then you can figure out from there, what does manners mean mm -hmm. to me? Because I'm still teaching my girls things. I'm not saying manners aren't important. What I'm saying is where is it coming from and why? Because I've talked to the girls about those things, but not in an oppressive, either do it yeah. or you're in trouble way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, my brain's starting to hurt a little bit. Okay. Just so from... we can, I know. Well, and it gets really deep. And I want to say that Todd and I are having these conversations right now, but he and I are very messy and we have difficult conversations like this all the time. And so when, when I hear things like, but you wouldn't do what I did, or you don't think these things, or you don't know anxiety, or you don't know what it's like to fight. Of course we do. Like I, I want, it's, it's such a, um, misrepresentation of what consciousness and, and, connection means. looks like exactly or vulnerability yeah i mean like i guess just to exaggerate the point we're never gonna end this podcast by the way <laughs> <laughs> think of the couple that never i think of the movie singles where the one girl uh, ends up going back to an old boyfriend because it was comfortable and all they do is read the paper she's like love you yeah he's like love and there's too. nothing there nothing you know there. now we're nothing. getting into stare perel where right. you need to have polarity right. you need to have differences that's the juice that makes a relationship so special right so um i don't know why i thought of that about that but. well why that's important is if when you know when someone says but you just feel confident as a woman i do but you know how hard one that is mm -hmm. and how every day i have to do things to maintain a confidence and that some days that confidence plummets and so i have to make a vision board mm -hmm. to remember my confidence yeah. I, it, people or people who are doing certain things for a living that you envy or that you're like, yeah, but they can do it, but I can't. Do you know what they had to do yeah. to do that? Or or the the self-awareness journey. Well, you're self-aware. Do you know how many depressions I went through? Yeah. And and you know, and who's who's to say that that's it? Yeah. Like I still have a bunch of a lifetime to go through. That this is these things are going to be messy. And if you can accept that, but not take it all like I got to wait till I hit a depression. You don't have to do that. Part of the reason I bring things up 
with Todd or with myself or with my therapist or what I journal or my meditation is so I don't have to do that again. Hmm. I'm not going to hit walls anymore. I will hit walls. We talked about walls last week. I may hit a wall, but then instead of trying to keep hitting the wall with my forehead, I try to go a different way, which may mean speak up to Todd, ask for help, um, you know, get some more sleep. Just do something different. Do something different. And, and so, then learn from every time you screw it up because if you have kids, you're going to screw it up. Exactly. If you have a partner, you're going to screw it up. Exactly. The mess is the beauty. I feel like there's a line in Goodwill Hunting as we close where he, you know, he's like, you know, you're not perfect. She's not perfect. But the question is, are you perfect for one another? Correct. And then he, and Robin Williams talks about his own relationship with his wife who passed away from cancer. Right. And he says something like, you know, he doesn't remember the big stuff, like the wedding. Right. He remembers that like his wife used to fart in her sleep. Correct. Like that's the stuff, yes. like that's the, that's the day-to-day interactions, Correct. the messiness, that's what you're going to remember and not the day we got married. I mean, you may remember that day, well, but. And again, can you see that that's a story? Yeah. Can you see, these are the things that I think, you know, in, in closing here that are changing with this virus is that. Can we see that some of the things that we held up as being most important, the SAT score, the grades, the house, the the car that we're not driving now because there's nowhere to go, the trips that we thought made us valuable, when they're all taken away, what do we do? We call people we love. We talk to our mom more often. We um, take care of our home. We start gardening again. We start taking walks. That's the essential stuff. And we have gotten lost in the in what we think other people want to see us do or well, the perfection. Well, and I guess in the end. Um, we keep saying, and the final note. The final, final <laughs> note. I judge that most all of us, if not all of us, will eventually remember that it's all about love, right? Right. Connection. That's the hope. Um, I think many people learn that on their deathbed. Yeah. And or my maybe thing, don't. I don't know. I, I want to believe that there's a glimpse right before your heart yeah. stops beating yeah, yeah, that yeah. you finally get it. Yeah. Or maybe two seconds after and you're in the afterlife and you realize it's yeah. all love. But my thing is, let's just figure that out now. Amen. Let's just do that now. Well, and that, on another note, on the last <laughs> in note. In conclusion. In conclusion, my favorite quote that is in my meditation area right in front of me is the the woman who was on Oprah's show in the 90s and said that as her son was dying and she was laying next to him, as he was dying, he said, mom, it's all so simple. Mm. And he said it again and again. And as he was leaving, he realized what you just said. We can say that it's all love or that we made it more difficult than it is. She doesn't, we don't really know, mm. but just that it's language, just words, right? yeah. mom, it's so simple. Yeah. Like, why do we make this so hard? And, um, and that is always my saving grace. And yet the messiness is that I do get lost in ego and I have to re-remember that. That should be a word, re-remember. Is that a word? I think it might be a word. So I am not going to say anything after that. That's my final note. Yeah, I actually want to talk more, but I'm not going to. Okay. Uh, Jeremy Kraft, he is a bald-headed beauty. He's been supporting us since the very first podcast, and this was podcast number 546. He's been supporting us a long time. If you guys have any projects coming up in the Chicagoland area, redoing a kitchen, painting your house, inside or outside, bathroom, you know. Basement. Basements, uh, 630-956-1800, avidco.net. The tribe has a weekly free uh, men's group meeting on Zoom every Wednesday night, 7.30 p.m. If you're interested, go to tribemensgroup.org. And uh, hopefully we'll see you on the Zen Talk, which is on Thursday. 
uh, free for the first month. So we'd love to see you. Yeah, virtual community. Uh, zero pressure, 100% support. Yes. Thanks for listening, everybody. All right. Keep trucking. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Also subscribe and review our Pop Culturing podcast, a Gen X viewpoint on movies and TV with an emphasis on personal growth and self-awareness. It's basically the flip side of Zen Parenting Radio. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out our third podcast, otherwise known as Team Zen. One of our team members described it as an advice column meets group help meets like-minded community. With your $25 subscription, you get two live Zen talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions, plus a Facebook community where you can interact or just listen to like-minded parents. If you can't join us live, you can still access all the Zen talks through the Team Zen podcast app. And don't forget about Tribe Men's Group. We have a virtual community from men all over the world. Head on over to tribemensgroup.org or shoot me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give him a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.